artifact, R-T-F-K-T. It's spelt with no vowels. Yeah, it's that kind of branding. And they are a Web3 company, a design company, an NFT company that was purchased, acquired by Nike back in December 2021, a move that absolutely shocked the metaverse. Nobody even saw that coming. Nobody even knew that Nike was even lurking in the game, and they came out of nowhere and bought one of the hottest design firms out there. But if we dig into Nike just a little bit, their strategy, their ethos, and of course, what Artifact is and why they do the things they do, it actually all makes sense. So on today's show, we're going to look at how and why Nike buys companies, how Artifact went from a couple guys messing around to Nike acquisition in just two years, and how Nike has already made almost $200 million in NFT-based revenue and the new standard for the metaverse that the two brands might just set together. What's up, everyone? It's LG Set, and you're listening to The First Mint, a podcast about Web3, business, and sports. Before we get to the show, a word from our sponsors. Digital collectors and creators, listen up. The Gaia Marketplace is your home to list, buy, sell, and trade your flow-based digital collectibles. From legendary NBA Top Shot moments to newer projects like Dimension X, where you can bring your NFTs in-game and play to earn crypto. Throw your NFTs in the marketplace quicker than ever with Gaia's bulk listing tool. Then grab some popcorn, kick back, and watch the action. Head over to ongaia.com to get started. That's ongaia.com. Nothing on today's show should be considered financial or trading advice of any kind. Please do your own thorough research and make your own trading decisions. This is not advice. So if you hang out in the NFT streets, you know that NFTs going mainstream is a highly discussed topic. It's something that we honestly, we all want to see. Ready or not, we want the metaverse to come to every consumer, to every friend we've ever had. We want it out there. We want people using it. And even on our short timeline so far in the space, there have been a handful of marquee moments that we feel really kind of like elevated the space to the mainstream, put it in front of like a real audience. There's been many times where celebrities have bought Bored Apes. That was pretty good. Uh, early on, Shaq talked about like NBA Top Shot, I think on NBA and TNT, and that was kind of cool. But to me, there are two real moments that stand alone above the rest in terms of signaling that NFTs were here to stay and should be taken seriously. The first one came at the end of August 2021, which was the start of like the, or that was like kind of the end or the start end of one of the most insane like bull runs. That was like the start of August 2021. NFTs were unknown. By the end of August 2021, everybody knew them. And one of the reasons for that was when Visa, the company, like the credit card company, bought a CryptoPunk. And that kicked off like just the most berserk week ever. That was in August 2021. Three months later, the second such moment happened when Nike acquired Artifact. And when they did, reactions were actually quite mixed in the space because some people were very excited, like, hey, one of the biggest brands is coming in here, they're buying a company. But other people were like, hey, no, get that big corporate business out of here. I'll read you a few of the biggest reactions we saw on Twitter at the time from Andrew Steinwald, who's been on the show before. I've said this before, but Nike's acquisition of Artifact will go down in history as one of the greatest acquisitions of all time, like Google buying YouTube for $1.65 billion. YouTube is worth an estimated $180 billion today. From Maddie, DCL blogger, I love Artifact, but they have become a massive brand even without the Nike acquisition, already pretty much the number one NFT fashion brand. Some of the negative ones from King Blackboard, 
Fake woke Nike bought Artifact Studios, a match made in heaven. Shady Artifact provided limited rights to the, to the IP after Mint, and Nike will not release details of this acquisition deal. Nike already showing you how they feel about the spirit of Web3 and transparency. None of it. And then from a newspaper article, the company that does marketing better than any company in human history is about to start marketing things that no one needs and that have a more or less 100% profit margin, wrote longtime sneaker journalist Russ Bankston on Twitter. At the time, and still up until just a few weeks ago, I honestly didn't really know too much about the project, outside of being on Twitter and seeing people's PFPs of CloneX, which I honestly thought were kind of ugly, kind of like rejected Pixar ice cream characters with strange colors. I didn't know much until I actually started researching this pod that you're listening to now. But what I can tell you is that Artifact has been incredibly successful. CloneX, that collection I was just talking about, is the sixth highest selling collection ever on OpenSea. It has done over 236,000 ETH, or $755 million. They're sixth, right behind Azuki, and far ahead of seventh place, Moonbirds. Their top sales ever of CloneX top out at 450 ETH, 368, 302. 289, 288, and then a few others around that range. So for my education, and of course your own, let's start the show by actually taking a deeper dive and looking at Artifact and how it began. So they are a design studio founded in 2020. They have three founders, Benoit Pagoteau, he's the former CMO of Fnatic, which is like a massive esports brand, which had like an incredibly good Counter-Strike team. Steven Vasilev, who had like an automation company that would buy Supremes and was also like a, is also a sneaker expert and designer. And Chris Lee, a creative in the music industry, but also a skin designer for Counter-Strike. They started Artifact because they wanted to use their combined backgrounds to kind of modify sneakers using the thing that they knew how to make best, skins. And they started designing them and kind of putting them on Instagram. Like in some cases, they would make a digital one and kind of modify it into a video. In other cases, they would actually put it onto like a, a Nike Air Force One or Jordan or something like that and put it out there because there's a massive viral sneaker community out there. They had one video that went very viral, and it's where they had made like this augmented reality Iron Man sneaker. And this video got like millions of views on like TikTok and Instagram. It was reshared by everybody, including Ghostface Killer from Wu Tang. They did a bunch of other cool kind of mods, like they did a Bone series for Fortnite. They did a Cyber Shoe that was kind of like Elon Musk's Cyber Truck. And they did like PS5, Xbox style, like future shoes. Flash forward a few months later, they started to sell some of those modifications as NFTs on platforms like Super Rare and a lot of the stuff that was kind of hot, you know, kind of in the second half of 2020, before, before the explosion. And their whole offering was that they wanted to allow people to basically take these NFTs and forge them into real sneakers. So they were putting out these NFTs, cool sneakers, and then being like, hey, you're going to get to redeem this. Like, we're going to make this sneaker for you and send it to you. Like, burn the NFT sneaker, and then we'll send you the actual sneaker. And what they would do is actually put like an NFC chip into those sneakers to kind of prove the authenticity. So they were kind of doing something like a cool design studio, but also pushing innovation, taking sneakers to the next level that everybody had been assuming they would get to, which is kind of like this verified digital ID. What they considered incredibly vital for the strength of their, you know, kind of basement internet company, because the three guys lived all over the world, was their speed. They touted that they were able to basically like create and release an item within three days, which is way faster than any kind of like big brand timeline. So then naturally they became like darlings of the early nascent NFT community. 
Here they are on the Whale Shark podcast with our old friend Whale Shark describing the genesis idea behind Artifact. We wanted to really bring to life like a new way to think of collectibles as kind of like magic objects that you carry to flex or that you, you, you showcase with your content to your friends. And also we want these objects to not be static in a sense that, you know, in most video games, when you get an object, it's, it starts as a very boring object, but then as you do stuff with it and you do your quest and your character is progressing, and that, yeah, that object is going to grow and evolve with you. That interview was recorded literally the first week of 2021. And that was like just a few weeks before things got real, as they say, in the NFT space. That's around when like things really started to explode for NFTs and Artifact was a big part of that. Among many other ventures and many things that they did during that early 2021 explosion is they sold $3 million of sneakers in just seven minutes in a collaboration with Ferocious. They were so popular that even Elon Musk bought a pair. And then a few months later in May 2021, Artifact announced that they had raised $8.12 million, led by A16Z and were running with a valuation of $33 million. And the very next day, they dropped yet another collaboration, this time with Jeff Staple, a famous designer and sneaker guy with a shoe named the Meta Pigeon, which reinforced Autocraft's credibility in the apparel and sneaker world. Now, Jeff Staple was no stranger to collaborations. Just two years prior, he had dropped the SB Dunk Pigeon in collaboration with Nike. So it's quite clear at this point that Artifact may have been setting up for an acquisition or at least some kind of collaboration they're in the sneaker business, and Nike sells sneakers. In fact, in an interview with High Snobiety, Benoit Pagateau even said, It sounds like a joke, but the very first deck we did in 2019 said, Making Nike a Roadmap of 2025 in 2020. Now, it's worth noting at this point that despite them clearly having an aim to kind of take Nike to the next level, whether in collaboration or independently, the guys at Artifact do see themselves or did see themselves as pioneers with a deep desire to remain independent. According to JKB, a community member that I interviewed offline for this episode, he told me that Artifact kind of always wanted to be the Nike of Web3, but they did not want to be acquired by a Web2 company and thrown into the corporate doldrums. Artifact tries to run their own show to the point that when Nike finally called them, Pagato picked up the phone and said something along the lines of, what the fuck do you want? Now we'll come back to JKB a few times throughout the episode, as he's the one who broke some major Nike Alpha just a few months ago in relation to Artifact. And before we get to that, let's pause the Artifact story and look at the other side of the deal, the Nike side. Now I'm not going to tell you Nike's story, but I will tell you what they've been doing in the business world for the last little bit, specifically when it comes to acquisitions. Now, early on in the Nike timeline, they were basically an inventory company. Of course, they're best known for their brand and basically invented modern emotional marketing. But the strategy behind that was to basically own as much of the market as possible. From the late 80s up until the mid-2000s, they bought six different companies that reflected this strategy. Cole Haan in 1988, Bauer Hockey in 1994, Hurley in 2002, Converse in 2003, Starter in 2004, which makes sports uniforms, and Umbro in 2007, which makes soccer uniforms. So basically, if you were wearing a sports uniform of some kind in the early 2000s, chances are that it was made or at least distributed by Nike. But sometime around 2007, shortly after buying Umbro, 
that strategy began to shift. And Nike has since sold every single one of the companies that I just listed, except Converse, the shoe company. And that's because Nike as a business has begun to reinvent itself not as a manufacturer, but as a tech company. In June 2017, as the company's stock was struggling and losing market share to Adidas, they unveiled something called the Consumer Direct Offense, an internal program or strategy designed to create a far more direct relationship between the consumer and Nike. For example, they would elevate retailers willing to host a differentiated experience in their stores, such as Foot Locker and Nordstrom, and they would eliminate relationships with retailers that weren't willing to do that, like Amazon, or I guess in Amazon's case, don't have the capability to. Now, another part of this consumer direct defense, which will now shorten to the CDO, was the acquisition of tech companies. In 2018, Nike purchased Zodiac, which is like a consumer data analytics company. In 2019, they bought Select, a Boston-based predictive analytics company. And just last year in 2021, they acquired Datalog, a New York-based company focused on digital sales and machine learning tech. But perhaps the biggest change that came from Nike's CDO strategy was a change in leadership. In 2019, Nike appointed a new CEO, John Donahoe, a former president and CEO of eBay who had led that company, the eBay, a massive freaking tech company, led them through acquisitions like Shopping.com and StubHub. And at the time, he was CEO of ServiceNow, which is a cloud computing company, and he then and still now sits as the chairman of PayPal. This move was honestly, or at least from what I've heard, pretty shocking, especially internally at Nike. Like a cloud computing guy to run Nike? Really? And to illustrate just how different Donahoe's background was and how his potential approach to Nike culture might be, he stated when, when he came on as CEO that his favorite item of Nike's were the golf pants, not sneakers or any other item. He said he liked the pants. But his preference in clothing obviously doesn't mean that he's not fit to be the CEO of what has now become a tech company. Here he is on the Greylock podcast literally just two months ago discussing Nike's digital transformation. You know, PayPal or an eBay, you could talk about digital transformation and it's a big word and it sounds so great. I have a newfound respect about how hard it is trying to actually do one in a physical product in a footwear and apparel company. We need great tech talent. We need great engineers. We need great digital product people. We need great digital designers. And that's a different skill set a talent pool than a place like a Nike is historically had. And initially we tried to make them all move to Portland to be in headquarters. Like you're not gonna get, some are love to do that. Some have to be here, but an awful lot don't. So you have to run a little, we have to run a little more of a distributed labor model and have different centers of excellence and things that a tech company does in its sleep. That said, the key to becoming a digital company is not having to be the tech and non-tech people. It's understanding that digital is wound through everything we do. In fact, when we talk to our consumers and say, tell us the last five things you bought from Nike, they'll say, you know, I got that running top. When I was in the physical store, I saw it, but they didn't have the size or color I wanted. So I ordered it in store and it got shipped home. Point being, they don't remember it was a digital transaction, a physical transaction. They just knew it was an interaction with the company and technology was one piece of a blended equation. Now, all of that sounds very beautiful, and so far on the show, we're 15 minutes in, we've talked about you know all this, these beautiful aspirations of a digital world, but this is a show about business as well as crypto stuff, and what we need to talk about now is the money 
aspects. All this digital transformation stuff is really to take advantage of the upcoming financial opportunities as people turn to their phones, to their screens to buy stuff. So much so that, again, as part of Nike's CDO strategy, they've stated that they want to reach digital penetration as far as 30% by 2023, as in they want direct-to-consumer sales through digital channels to hit 30% by next year. Thing is, is that they believe that in 2022, they've already hit it. They think that they've hit 50% this year alone. The digital world is clearly big business for Nike and especially for its highest selling type of item. Sneakers, of course, footwear. 66% of what Nike sells is sneakers. And this year alone, they're on pace for $50 billion of revenue. That's $33 billion of shoes sold every year by Nike. But the revenue opportunity doesn't stop there. Why stop at just having people buy shoes off of your website or your mobile app? No, no, no. The next great opportunity for Nike is, of course, in Web3. It's no secret that sneakers demand an insane premium on the secondary market. Kind of like NFTs, sneakers are a thriving secondary marketplace. In 2020 alone, this, this is almost three years ago, StockX, which is kind of like a place where you go to resell your shoes or you can resell like comic books, so it's mainly for shoes, saw about $1.8 billion of volume in sneakers. That's people selling sneakers to each other. And the best-selling brands out of that $1.8 billion were Jordan, Nike, Adidas, Converse, and New Balance. That's right. Nike has three of the top five selling, reselling shoes out there. That's a lot of money. And Nike hasn't really seen a piece of that. They're trying to, but they haven't seen a piece of that secondary market. But just a few weeks back, they did announce new terms for their U.S. online sales, specifically aimed at people that use bots, because basically what happens is Nike will drop some sneakers, and then people will build these little bots that'll go buy as many as they can, and then they go resell them for like a 40% markup on a website like StockX, which is not great. Nike doesn't want that. So their new rules are pretty much going to disallow the secondary sale of sneakers that were acquired by bots. Now that's step number one at kind of gaining a bit more of that market share. The next step is probably digital ID. Now in the fashion world, digital IDs are making their way into literally every single brand. And here's a clip from Natasha Frank, the CEO and founder of EOD, which is a digital ID maker, as well as Natalie Massonet, the co-founder of Imaginary Ventures, where they give us a great perspective on stage recently about the relationship between people, brands, and their fashion. The way it currently works, a brand sells a product that's yeah. their, their, the end of their connection to it. Right. Um, they don't benefit from the full life cycle. With this, in theory, you could. I mean, is, is that right? Like, how would that work? Yeah, we see brands being able to as much as double the profit per product through digital ID. Right, the ID actually becomes a source of revenue. Customers can scan and style, right, a recommendation on an outfit. Customers can scan and reorder. We're doing a lot of that for intimates, right? Things that you have in your closet that you would want again. So it's really enabling, brands today capture a fraction of the possible revenue that they could from each asset. Um, and this is unlocking that possibility. What we imagine will happen is that um, brands will create smart contracts um, where they will, uh, you know, attach, uh, acknowledge the, their IP connected back to the product through the cloud to back to Eon. Um, and when that transaction is happening, 
whether it's in store or digitally, when the credit card um, gets uh, used, the smart contract will be triggered and a royalty will be put out in perpetuity to the brand. I'm just going to go back to the start of that clip when she says double your revenue. And there are a few brands, if any, with a bigger resale market, of course, than Nike. Now, virtual sneakers have long been awaited by the community, especially in the Nike circles. And Nike has already made inroads to that prior to their artifact uh, acquisition. They they launched Nike Land on Roblox in 2019. They did a Fortnite collab. And it, even in October 2021, like literally two months before the acquisition was announced, they filed metaverse trademarks for Nike, Just Do It, Air Jordan, and Jumpman. And even right after the acquisition, Nike wasted no time integrating another long-held patent of theirs into Artifact when they launched CryptoKicks, which is a patent they had filed way back in 2019. That's how long ago Nike's actually been lurking. They brought CryptoKicks to life in April 2022 when they airdropped them to Clonex holders, and the CryptoKicks alone have done over 7,500 ETH in trading. Now, beyond the CryptoKicks drop, Nike and Artifact have wasted no time in rewarding their holders in other similar fashions and constantly releasing new and exciting product, cementing their street cred as an NFT project and player in Web3. For example, shortly after the acquisition, literally within a few weeks, they announced pods, which were like these kind of like digital poly pocket things that were instantly playable and customizable, kind of like a little apartment in the metaverse, and they were airdropped to holders of Artifact items like CloneX. So this brings us to the part in the show where we talk about what they might do next. Now, Artifact has already made $185 million in revenue, and I guess most of that goes to Nike. They've made $93 million from primary sales and $92 million from royalties, which is honestly far beyond any other brand in the space. There's like a chart you can pull up on Dune Analytics that shows you all the brands, and it's like nothing even comes close to, like the next closest one is like Dolce & Gabbana for like $30 million. Like nobody is nowhere near Nike especially in the fashion space, in terms of their revenue so far in NFTs. To get a sense of where they might go next with it, we can actually look at what they did when they dropped CryptoKicks, because they also filed other trademarks for things like crypto wallet software, marketplace for digital currency assets, services that provide digital currency to an online community, electronic bulletin board services, online scavenger hunts, and tech to let people receive crypto assets. They've also filed another patent for multi-layer digital asset architecture for virtual and mixed reality environments. Now, Twitter user Bonbon Magoon actually wrote a fantastic thread when this happened literally just two months ago, explaining what might, that might mean. He told us that, you know, crypto kicks have skins, and when you go to events or certain events happen, they could evolve and change and also be kind of permissionless and open to the users to collaborate with sponsors or athletes or esports teams and let them customize the shoes that they are wearing. We're about 23 minutes into the show, and there's a huge part about Nike that we have not discussed at all yet, and it's its athletes. Nike is probably, if not undoubtedly, the absolute best athlete marketing firm out there. Nike ads, their athletes, the whole shebang is instantly recognizable and honestly quite iconic. Now, JKB, our friend that we mentioned at the start, whom I interviewed before this, he rolled out an incredible thread in the first week of September, pretty much discussing some behind-the-scenes moves that the Artifact wallet had been making. Basically, CloneX had gone and bought back some of its clones for Serena Williams' profile photo and kind of gave it to her, and then she came out and was like, I have a clone. But it also bought another one wearing a crown. 
and then changed the traits on the profile photo to LBJ beard and chosen one crown with purple and gold as the crown, clearly signaling that this clone was for LeBron. And JKB actually points out that this happened while LeBron was at Nike headquarters for their annual awards show. And then just last week, Artifact dropped a new product called Remoa, which are metaverse suitcases, which same kind of thing as the shoes. You can you buy the NFT of the suitcase. It's a suitcase and you can burn it and then you get the actual suitcase for it. It's a very cool suitcase, which conveniently, coincidentally, was actually shared by LeBron James on his Instagram just a few weeks back. He shared a photo of him with one of those suitcases. Now, LeBron is someone who also recently filed his own metaverse trademarks. And this is probably a good time to remind everybody that LeBron's lifetime deal with Nike is already rumored to be almost a billion dollars, if not more, if not definitely more, by the time he's done playing. And it doesn't end there. If you go beyond LeBron and look at everybody else on Nike's roster, the list is astonishing. Keep in mind, we said this on the podcast just two weeks ago, that 70% of NBA players are signed to Nike. And that doesn't include all the soccer players and tennis players, all those people at the NFL, tons of international leagues that are on Nike's roster. Other athletes like Simone Biles, uh, two MMA athletes, including uh, now losing boxer guy Anderson Silva, tons of snowboarders like Canadian Mark McMorris, and also artists like Drake, Billie Eilish, Will Smith, Travis Scott, and Eminem. Now, there are obviously tons of possibilities what they could do there, and they haven't announced anything with LeBron. LeBron doesn't have the clone, but the sky may truly be the limit, and that's probably because Artifact is kind of retaining a certain independence within Nike. All those fears that we shared at the top of the episode of people saying, oh, they've gone so corporate. Well, according to JKB, Artifact is, is kind of retaining control over its own destiny. It's starting to do kind of some weird shit, like it recently released a fragrance that you could get or you could claim that goes with your clone X. Like, that's not very Nike. That's not something that I can see like Nike executives necessarily approving. But maybe it speaks to the part where part of the deal was that Artifact could kind of operate on its own and even maybe work with a rival brand if they want. Or maybe even let its culture of independence and kind of fierce startup bleed into the rest of Nike. In that High Snobiety article, Pagato was quoted as saying, we want to make Nike learn from us and understand that it's a different game. So my thoughts on all this, right now, I do think that Artifact is maybe extending a little too far. Even trying to learn about this, I had to put together all these pieces. It was way too much. And I think it's going to be hard for them to maybe be known as one thing, like to be known as one kind of circular brand. What is that? But again, it depends on their intent. Do they want to build a brand? Or is this, again, an inventory play for Nike but a digital one. When it comes to branding, Nike is sneakers, right? Adidas is like merch. You kind of know the merch. Supreme is like the logo. What is Artifact? Is it just NFTs? Is it those, those weird ice cream Pixar things I mentioned earlier? Clone X? Or maybe for now, it's going to be the trendsetter that every other brand follows into the space. And maybe that's already happening. Now, the future is unknown. We don't know what they got going on behind the scenes there. But we can definitely say that these two companies, now kind of under the same umbrella, are very aligned in terms of their goals. And that digital sneakers are definitely a thing that's here to stay and something that is definitely gonna bring a lot of new people into the space. 
Thank you for listening, everybody. Hope you've enjoyed the first couple weeks of the revamped podcast. And again, a reminder to leave us a little review on iTunes. Let us know how you feel about the show or even just give us a little rating. It always helps us quite a lot. Otherwise, DMs are always open. You're always welcome to write into us at the first minute on Twitter. Let us know how you feel about the show. Let us know if you have some topic ideas, some stuff that you'd want to hear about on the show. We're having a great time doing this. So please let us know if there's anything you want to hear about, you want us to look into and uncover what the story might be behind certain NFT projects. Otherwise, we will see you next time on the first minute.